again, well, all right, everybody's out, but if your kid did not have a name tag, if you didn't get your name tag this morning, for those up through fourth grade, remember to go do that check-in at the, at the desk. Really, we do that for everyone's safety. Um, I know sometimes it seems like a little bit of an annoyance, but you know what? It's actually a safety measure for everybody. So, all right. Well, as you can see this morning, my better-looking twin brother is not here. They are out this morning. Uh, Pastor Solo and family uh, are in Florida today. Um, you know, they'll be gone this week a little bit too. They're getting some time of refreshing. And let me tell you, sometimes we need time off. Amen? All right. So they're enjoying some time off with family. Uh, I will tell you, it's, it's been really, really good for them. Um, it's, it's actually pretty amazing that, um, you know, here they go, uh, 20 some hours worth of driving away from Nebraska. They end up in Florida and God sends somebody from New York and gives him a word about the church down in Florida. So you know that it's an ordained thing that he needed some time off because he would have missed that word. So it's going to be a good thing. I could get really excited and talk just specifically about that, but it's not my place because Pastor Solo was there. So I want him to, to, to come back and talk to you guys. But I'm going to tell you, it's really cool because it's a, it's a man that, that um, none of us have ever met before. It is from another MFI church, but we have no idea, you know, never seen this guy. And it's so great because he's been talking, he, he gave a word over the church and so much of the stuff that was coming out of his mouth is stuff that's happening right now. And it's so amazing. Things that are about ready to happen and things that are happening. And it's pretty cool for, you know that it's God speaking because he had no idea. He didn't even know. He started to talk to Pastor Jerry. And Pastor Jerry said, okay, time out. That's good. I'm not the senior pastor. But you're lucky because he's actually here. And so he got the two of them together. And it was, it was really amazing that that, that that came up. So... Anyway, well, this morning, I have a word for you this morning. We're going to start, and there goes, well, I didn't do that anyway. Um, they, they have a word for you this morning, and it's out of Matthew chapter 9. Um, and I want you guys to, we're going to put this up there. This is really cool. So it says this, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. All right, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for our time together. Lord, just bless it. Bless your word as it, as it goes out today. Uh, Father, that these are not my words, but they're your words. I thank you, O Lord, and just uh, uh, help us uh, to receive our minds and our hearts already. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a couple of questions that come up, really, when you look at this and you think about this. There's two questions that come to me. First is, have you ever prayed this prayer? Right? Have you ever taken the time and actually just, have you ever prayed that prayer before? And if so, when was the last time that you prayed that? When was the last time that you just sat down and said, okay, Lord, I know that there's a harvest out there. We need labor. Send them. That's really my first thought. When was the last time you did that? But to follow that, have you ever considered that the answer to the prayer is you? Have you ever taken the time and just sat down and go, man, Lord, send laborers. And God's on the other side of that, you know, going, I already have. You're there. Consider that we're the ones. If so, if you've thought that, what is stopping us from going? When we have things that are go stoppers, right? Like if you ever, you know, in business, you have things we call them show stoppers. You know, we, we've been dealing, I, where, where my work, that I work outside of here, we got a big client and we sat down and some issues came up and they said, okay, none of these are showstoppers, we can go ahead and go forward with this thing. 
We have the same thing sometimes in our Christian walk, right, with our faith. When we go to share and we go to share this thing called the gospel, we have go stoppers, things that are preventing us from doing that. You know, I truly believe when Jesus said, he said, the harvest is great and the workers are few. I believe that. Come on, he said it. There was there was Pastor Solo shared this graphic with me yesterday, and I'm glad he did. It says 82 percent of people that are asked that they were polled. It said 82 percent of people said if they were asked to go to church, they would at least somewhat be likely to go. And on the other side, out of churchgoers that were polled, have you ever asked someone to go to church? Only 2% of all the churchgoers that were polled actually asked people to go to church. That's a pretty big disparagence. When you think that nearly 82% would at least consider it to go, to, to, to step into a church. So here's the thing. I can see God moving in the hearts of many people across the earth in every generation right now, right? But here's the fun thing. Many and of the greatest testimonies, many of the greatest breakthroughs, are yet to come. They have not happened yet, if you think about it. Some of the greatest testimonies that are out there are coming. You say, well, you know, I, I like this. You've heard the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing new under the sun. If you really think about it, a lot of the, a lot of the trials and tribulations that people went through in the Old Testament, we're seeing it now again, right? You know, uh, if people... <laughs> we, we've faced these same things for centuries, but here's the deal. We're finding ways to do those same things, only bigger and better. It's the same problems. We're just finding new ways to get ourselves into them, right? But the cool thing is, is even though we're trying to do this bigger, we, ha- we serve a bigger God who can create a bigger breakthrough, who could also create a bigger testimony. Amen? You know, we talk about our testimony... It's fun because Heather and I have talked about this, and, and um, she'll probably kill me for saying it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but she said, you know, sometimes, she said, sometimes I'm jealous of your testimony. I said, why are you jealous of that? She goes, I've been in church, I've been the good kid my whole life. And I said, you, wanna, you want me to be blatantly honest? I'm jealous of your testimony. I grew up in the church and I threw it away. I had to build a different testimony. I had that other testimony already started, and somewhere along the way, uh, there's a friend of ours that, as she put it, I done downloaded stupid. And somewhere along the way, I done downloaded stupid. So I had to go through all of this other stuff, and I didn't go just around one mountain. I went around like the whole mountain range before I figured out how to get back. You know, some people get around one mountain. I somehow found them all. I don't know what I did wrong, but I went dumb, right? So my testimony is different. But right now, right here in this city, if we really think about it this morning, you know, as we've worshiped God, other churches, people are worshiping God this morning, you know, thousands are doing that right now throughout this city. Nearly 150,000 people are not anywhere near a church or praising God this morning in this city alone. That's a pretty big number. Right? So that's, that means that the number of people that are inviting like crazy to get people into a church is pretty low. If you think about it, this, the, the population of Lincoln, what, we're around 300,000? 275, 300? So if you think about it, if every person just hounded one other person that we knew to get them into a church, how quickly the church could fill up, how quickly people could be in a church and getting word that could change their life, right? So that's why the Lord is saying, The laborers are few. 
There's a big harvest. Half of the city is out there. But here's what Jesus promised in John 14, 12. Jesus promised this. Very truly, I tell you that whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. That's a pretty big statement right there. I like that. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's pretty exciting. I mean, you know, if you walk around, if you just sit down and look through the the first, you know, five books there in the New Testament and see all the things that Jesus did, and those were only the things that were recorded. But he said, all of these things that I do, you're going to do them. You know, in, the, in our disciples class, we just, we just had a couple of weeks ago, you know, he, he, he gives us a list of here's some of the things that you're going to do. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to cleanse the, you know, you're going to raise the dead. You're going to, and I think that's a pretty, you look at that list and those are some pretty lofty things, but he just put them in a list as little bullet points of things that are going to happen. They aren't big, overpowering, overbearing things. He said, no, it's just one of many things that you will be able to do. I've already done all these things. You're going to do them. But you're going to, again, I said, what, we like it bigger and better? He's going to do the same with that. You're going to do that only bigger and better. He's given us that promise. So when we're convinced of the truth of God's word, and it settles into our hearts, you know, that really he is the Lord of the harvest, that means that God, when he says to go, he's not sending us on an impossible task. Right? Sometimes we kind of feel that. We're like, well, I know you're saying that, but it just doesn't seem like you don't know this guy. I mean, I've been around him for 20 years, and man, that guy hasn't said anything, you know, longer than a four-letter word his entire life. Right? I, I, you know, really, Lord, I, don't, I don't know, God. I don't know if this really, this is, you know. <laughs> I, I think about, I think about, have you seen, you remember the old Mission Impossible? Right? You know, where the, the guy walks up and he, I don't know, he opens like a telephone booth or something and the little message is there or whatever and he reads the message, right? And the assignment then, what happens is it blows up, right? And it says, if you get caught during this message, you know, we're going to disavow all knowledge. Okay, God doesn't do that, right? So here's the message. Every time I've opened it, this thing has never actually blown up on me, right? So that's good. But here is the message that he's given, and we go to take it out, and every time he says to go, it doesn't return void. Right? So you go out, and not only, and, it, and here's the great part. Here's the great part. If you get caught, he actually acknowledges that as a better thing. The Mission Impossible Force, we don't know who you are. You're going down on your own. That's some good friends, isn't it? Here's a great Here's a great thing. I want you to go do this. But if you're caught, sorry. We didn't send him. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joys, my brother and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish the work in you, right, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I guess I'm going all the way through five. So if any of you lacks wisdom... You should also ask God, who gives generously to all to withstand finding fault, and it will be given to you. So you go out, and if something happens and you get persecuted, good. That's what should happen if it happens, right? 
you go out and you face a trial, God says, good. What that's going to do is produce faith. It's going to produce perseverance. It's going to take you farther. He actually gives you something in return. He doesn't turn his back and run away, run away when that happens. You know how a diamond is made, right? Come on, we take this old nasty stuff that we burn and make electricity out of it. And you put pressure and put pressure over time over this thing. And at the end of all that pressure, the compound and the chemicals and all of those molecules that persevere through that and you open it up and what comes out on the other side, a gorgeous, flawless, perfect thing that a lot of people covet. It's this wonderful, beautiful diamond comes out of the other side. But how does it happen? It comes through pressure. Perseverance pushes through the pressure. So here we go. God's method for salvation really is the gospel, right? Come on, it's a message that must be shared. We can't keep it to ourselves. It's been entrusted to each of us, right? So that we, and we must choose to share it. He's not going to force you, right? You heard Pastor Solo say it, and we'll say it probably a million more times before we're out of here. But God is a gentleman. He's not going to push it on you to do these things. This is what he wants for you, but you must choose to share it. So think of, think of the great power. Think of that that you have. You can either restrict or release God's plan. Oh, whatever, lights went out. Look at that. Anyway, I look over and like this whole side's going. I didn't know, I didn't know if I missed something. Like am I, do I, am I on the wrong? Okay, that's all right, good. But here's the thing, you, you, right now, you either have the power to restrict or release God's plan for salvation for people's lives around you, and it's by choice. Because if God has someone you to, to go to and to speak to, it's your choice as to whether or not you do it, right? That's a, that's a, that's a, it's exciting and frightening altogether. I mean, because it's great, because you're like, man, just think of all the people that we can be released from bondage, but if I don't do it, think of all the stuff that people are stuck in and can't be out of. You know, the easiest way is just to sit back and not do anything, right? I mean, come on, you know, you guys, I, I don't know, I like my couch and I like my TV. I would just let me sit there, leave me alone, and I'll see you next Sunday. That's the easiest thing to do, right? But instead, you know, it really is to love Jesus with all our hearts, but we're not letting the love impact our action and bring others to him. So we get into this love story, right? This love story version of being with him, and we just think about it, you know, and it's just us and him, and we're holding hands, and we're walking down the beach, and the sunset is there, right? That's, that's sometimes we kind of get that, and we over-romanticize. It's just us only. But here's, in fact, the most effective way for us to really show love and to show our love for him is through obedience. In John 14, 23, it says this, Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. And what's he been asking us to do? So here we go. That should make you feel better, right? But check this out. We're not much different than the original disciples. Come on, they went through a process. It didn't happen all at first with them either, right? It took them a, t- it took them a while to, to process first in their heart, and, and slowly, all of a sudden, it, and, and, you know, they were complacent, right? All of these guys, Jesus didn't pick like the most spiritual guys on the planet. I mean, he walked down to the fishing dock, 
you know, everybody always makes jokes about sailors and their tongue, you know. So he walks down to where there's a bunch of sailors and says, I want you and I want you. And along the way, we're going to pick up a tax collector. Oh, come on. That's a who's who of nobody you wanted to put together on a dream team, right? But Jesus said, no, that's my dream team, actually. I like that guy. I like that guy. Oh, that guy I know cheats people uh, with tax money. So I need him. Come here. Let's go. Not our top five, top ten, not our top hundred. Come on, but slowly they got out of their complacent lifestyle, and all of a sudden it became, you see, the sense of urgency bringing it to their generation, right? They're bringing their generation to Christ. And in fact, really, if you think about many of the key miracles that were performed, you know, <laughs> really, on a lot of them, they, they were content just to sit on the sidelines and they watched. Like Jesus did it all when he was on the earth. They didn't get in the middle of it. It took time. It took time to process to where they got to doing what he was doing. And it really didn't happen until after he left that they took this thing that was starting to become a fire and made it a reality. So what about you? What about today? Where are you at, right? So are you living, it, it was a passion for them, but are you living with a passion to bring others to Jesus? You know? Great, it, it, it can be hard, right? It can be hard to invite someone to church. But what's stopping us from living that kind of life, stopping us from going, you know, what are your go-stoppers? Well, all of us have a go-stopper somewhere. We're human. All right, if any of you aren't, let me know, because I want to study the robotic insides that you have, because I'm really intrigued by robotics. But all of us have something because we're human. So here we go. So there's many reasons, really, we struggle in this area. And, I, and I'm just going to deal with four of those today. And really, um, you know, sometimes this is what makes us a little bit uncomfortable, even talking with people about the word go. And sometimes, here's the thing, it might even feel forceful or it might feel like it's a radical thing when you bring it to somebody. So the first of these ideas, the first of these things that can do it is really it's unbelief. And that seems like a pretty harsh word. But if you think about it, read what it says here in Matthew 21, 21. Jesus said, Jesus replied to them, you know, <laughs> this, the, the, let me set the situation up. Jesus is walking down the road with a couple of disciples and he's hungry. And he sees a fig tree. And he looks at the fig tree and there's nothing but leaves on the fig tree. Not too happy. And so he looks at the fig tree and says, okay, fig tree, you're cursed for life. You will never bear fruit again. And instantly the tree withers and it dies, just off of his words. And he replies, and this is where we pick up, and he says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, instantly saw him right, see right in front of your eyes, not only will that happen, but if you say to this mountain over here, go throw yourself into the sea, and it'll be done. You can affect the physical that's around you. So here we go. So sharing the gospel with someone is like, it's an act of faith. Even bringing someone to church, it's an act of faith, or at least it should be, right? I mean, when you bring them to, faith, when you bring them to church, you're hoping that they come and find faith. It is faith in believing that God is big enough and the gospel is powerful enough to change someone else's life. It changed your life, but we need to believe that it's big enough and powerful enough to change other people's lives as well. Come on, so we don't, you know, so when I don't intentionally live that way to win loss for the Christ, in some form or fashion, I don't fully believe then there's a, there's a bit of unbelief in the message. 
there's a bit of unbelief in God's power. There's a bit of unbelief somewhere in the power of the message if I don't live that way, looking to bring people to him. So here you go. When I'm convinced of God's saving power, then bringing people to Christ really is an exciting thing and not a burden. I mean, there's guys that we've watched, you know, we, I mean, you look at, you look at guys like um, uh, Billy Graham, you know, some of these, I mean, he, thousands of people, that man was always excited, Reinhard Bonnke, those men were always excited to talk about those that were led to Christ. Was it about their ministry? Not at all. Was it about the fact that there were thousands showing up at a tent? No, it was the fact that there were thousands coming to the kingdom is what excited them. It wasn't walking out and going, hey, look, there's a 28-acre property and there's 30,000 people on it. This is going to be great. No, it was at the end of it and went, look, there were 5,000 people that came down to the altar. That's what got them excited. So as our faith gets stronger and we exercise it, right, we need to do so toward the harvest. And we stir ourselves up for those people around us and we can have those life-changing encounters so that they can have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. But how does that all happen? Well, first, we need to take time to read our Bible, right? We've got to fill ourselves with his word, you know, get those promises to, to really birth in your mind. Get it into your heart, right? We read the Gospels. You go through that. You read even the book of Acts and all the people that are around you. You stop thinking them. Just stop thinking of them as friends. Stop thinking of them as the person at the gas station or the person who just cuts your hair, the person at the bank, wherever it is. Stop thinking of them just as family, but start thinking of them the way that Jesus pictures them, right? And start thinking of them the way the disciples did, making other disciples. We begin to pray then for them that, that God and the Holy Spirit will begin to draw them in a different way, right? So what I, what I call it now, the, the world has a version of this, and it's not that great, but I call it the Holy Spirit goggles, goggles right? Now if I take my glasses off, you guys are fuzzy right now, Okay? But if I put my glasses on, all of a sudden I see a clear picture of what's in front of me. And when we talk to those friends and family and people around us, if we go out before we go out and we take our Holy Spirit goggles and put them on, we start to see them the way that Jesus sees them. People who need to be discipled, people who need God. Not just, okay, you know, I, I see you, Charles, and I've seen you at places. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's Charles, right? Yeah, we got Charles. And I can go, oh, no, you know, this is my brother, Charles, man, and he's worked at this paint store forever, and I see him every time I go in and get a gallon of paint, you know, thank you, and walk out. No, I'm coming in, and I'm like, hey, you know, Charles, man, you know that God loves you, brother, and man, you know, I'd love to see you at church sometime, man, you know, and you invite him. Well, what is that? It's a difference when I see him that way. Now, he may be going, I hope that guy never comes back and buys another gallon of paint because he's a little weird. That's fine. But I'm still seeing him differently than just the guy who hands me a gallon of paint. Right? So think about this. What you feed yourself is what you become. So, you know, I had a, you know, when we feed ourselves the word and all these things, this is what we see and we can go out and that unbelief kind of goes away, right? I had a stop class one time where I went in and I just, I had, how many of you have taken the stop class? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know how many of you are speeding. Okay. I'll do it. <laughs> I've been in there more than once. It is what it is. But um, I, had, I had this one instructor one time that I think, you know, the only time, I don't know, this one drove me nuts. But the guy, the guy spent out of eight hours, six hours talking about how music and your feelings affects your driving. I'm like, there's a manual. Just read the manual. Let's go through that. But 
but the thing is, is he, you know, his point was what you're feeding yourself affects what's around you. You know, so if you're, I mean, if you're sitting there with some massively headbanging stuff, your foot's probably going to go closer to the floor. Let's drive, you know. And I must have been listening to something heavy because that day I wanted to punch that guy when he was talking. No, I'm just kidding. Said uh, it was like my feelings were wrong that day. Don't talk to me about feelings. But no. But what that is, what you feed yourself is really what you become, right? So if we're feeding ourselves the word, what we become is seeing that's a man who needs Christ, not a man who hands me a gallon of paint. I know he's, well, you are a believer, but I'm not saying that about you, Charles. But that's a man who wasn't a believer. He needs to be a believer. It's a difference in how I see and of you. So, you know, how about this? Here's a verse that's a, that's a faith booster for you. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he is anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the difference. Stopping unbelief. How do we do that, right? If we're living in unbelief, first and foremost, we need to ask God for, for, to forgive you of doing that. Right? Because we've done it, and whether we know it consciously or not, you know, somewhere along the way, it maybe has crept in. Secondly, we need to start praying daily for the lost. You know, believing that the prayer that you pray will actually lead someone to Christ. And thirdly, take time to tell your story. Come on. First, take time to actually prepare it. You know the phrase, if you build it, they will come? If you don't have your story prepared to share it with somebody, and God sends someone you way, your way, and you're going, uh, well, I don't, I, uh, um, uh. If you're prepared, it's easier for God to send someone to you. I'm ready, I have it, I know what I'm going to say. Be prepared. Second thing is pride. Second thing that can get in our way, it's a ghost opera, is pride. And a lot of reasons around what keep us from going really are pride. In the end, when you boil it down, is pride. There's, the, there's a phrase like, I'm shy, I don't feel like it. Maybe if they think that I'm weird. I've already said that before. I'm weird, I don't care. You know, well, I don't know what they're going to say. What if they get mad? But all of these things are normal concerns. So don't feel bad if that has ever come up. I'm not trying to go, huh, well, you're one of those. No, not at all. Those are normal things, but at the root of all these questions, really, there's a little bit of a sense of pride that holds you back. You know, and, and pride really is a preoccupation with self, because every one of those questions is, what happens and what affects me, not what affects them? You know, the, the, here, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and I want you to understand, for those of you who are believers, the gospel is not about you. For those of you who are believers, the gospel is not for you. The gospel is for those who don't know him. Now, it's an encouragement to us, yes. But the gospel was there to get people to know Christ and to bring him into him. So it's for you up until the moment that you have a relationship with Christ. Then you get an assignment and it becomes about someone else. Right? So now that seems, it may shock a couple people, but really when you look at the gospel, you'll find that the gospel itself is for non-believers. You know, it's not just a nice story for Christians that we're supposed to rehearse. You know, I mean, it's not just a Christmas pageant, it's not just an Easter thing, you know. It, it, but really it's a message, you know, and we've been given the privilege to carry that message to others. 
You know, when I put my faith in Jesus, everything I need comes from my relationship with him. Right? When I fully put my faith in him. And we must never forget the message of the gospel. Right? It must be something that is delivered to those who do not have it. You know, pride again tries to direct us, direct it all to ourselves, direct it away from others. And the gospel, here's what it does. It does the opposite and tries to focus me on others. That's the purpose of the gospel. It's not me anymore. You know, we need, to, we need to come to a place where our thoughts are not ruled by self-centered thoughts, but of God. You know, so when, when we go, really our insecurity and our focus needs to be on others, right? So instead of our, our insecurity, it's, it is, it's a focus on other people. You know, we'll be able to come and really we'll be conduits of the power of God in this generation, in your generation. Come on, we're multi-generational here. And there's people from little ones on all the way to the other end of little ones, you know, because I watched, you know, my parents and grandparents. They went this way, and then they went back this way. So we're from end to end, but there's generations on both ends, right? It's for all generations in our city, our time. And God, you know, really, he's using you in, in ways that you could, he could use you in ways you'll never imagine, right? But this was no different for the disciples. The disciples, again, the whole time, if you look at what they did, all they did was bicker and infight. For, for a long time, even while Jesus was here, I mean, they sat down and they go, well, I'm the, I mean, obviously, I'm the greatest of all the disciples. Oh, no, that can't be you. You don't understand. See, this last week I was hanging out with Jesus, and after I was with him, I could tell you, <laughs> I'm actually the greatest of the disciples. That's what they spent their time talking about. Who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? And Jesus is out there going, uh, well, while you guys were doing that, I've been healing people, and I've actually been saving them from a life of sin. Well, you guys are sitting up in here trying to figure out who's number one, right? So they focus it on them. But what it really does, finally, the disciples, after he dies, the Holy Spirit comes. And even like, you know, all of a sudden there's this realization and went, oh, that's what he was talking about. And then, bam, things just start to happen. So here we go. Mark 16, 20 says this. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Come on, it wasn't until he was gone. They went out and they finally got it. And there were signs and wonders, many things that only had been done by Jesus to that point. Now all of a sudden there's these men going around praying for different people and they're getting healed and thousands are coming to these places. The only person that had drawn thousands were probably Caesar and Jesus. That's it. And now one of these disciples, which is really a no-name guy, fisherman from all the way down the road that nobody even knows, other than the fact that they've been hanging with Jesus, thousands come to hear them talk. 3,000 on the first day come to the Lord. And why? It's because they finally realized the word that they had in them that they'd been given for the last three and a half years needed to come out for somebody else. They'd been looking at it for them, and they'd just been taking, 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 and all of a sudden they realized... Jesus never took once. He was giving, giving, giving. He says, oh, whoa, 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 i got to put pride to the side here. i got to give, give, give. Thirdly is fear. In order to live, you know, in order to live life, every one of us has to make a decision every day to overcome some sort of a fear in our lives, right? You know, sometimes it's, it's a multiple times a day. Some people have, I mean, I was reading through the list of fears, and it's just an amazing thing. If you just either want to freak yourself out or just see what's out there. But there was a lot of fears, you know. I mean, there's thousands and thousands. There's a fear of everything. I found one the other day. There's a fear of fear. 
There is a phobia of phobias. There's a phobia of sharp corners, the number 13. There's a phobia, you name it, there's a phobia of something. There's a phobia of clowns, which is pretty real sometimes, I'll tell you. Because I've seen a few clowns that are just, I don't know. But anyway, but there's a lot of fear that's out there, right? But here's the thing, Timothy says it to us this way. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor, nor me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul challenges Timothy to overcome fear is for this reason, right? So that we would not be ashamed to preach or to go and to tell people about God. You know, personally, I think the best way to conquer fear is to face it head on. I watch, I watch a lot of TV, right? So, you know, it's, it's time for TV reference. A couple of you are going, you know, he hasn't said a thing about TV or a movie all day today. I know one of you, Sherry's back there like, finally. You know, I just saw her take her out of and now I'm taking notes. He's using it. No. But there's, there's, okay, the show Friends, right? They're all sitting around in a coffee house, and one of the guys sees a pretty girl across there, and, and he's like, well, I should go talk to her. I don't know. And the, all of his friends are like, just go talk to her. What's the, fir- what's the worst thing that could happen? He says, I could die, right? But how about this? I submit to you, if you don't go and talk to somebody, they might die. Where, where's the focus? Is it what's going to happen to me or what's going to happen to them? You know, David did it. David, David, you know, he went through a lot, right? David didn't, in the midst of his fear, he didn't have time to go through a 12-step program to get rid of fear. He, he didn't have time before he went and faced Goliath, right? He walks up to the battle and says, okay, who's this guy who's mouthing off up here? He didn't go, okay, well, you know, I need to go consult the manual. I, I'm a little scared here. I don't know what to do. What did he do? He applied his faith, and he went for it. He says, no, no, no. Hey, hey, big man, shut up for a minute. I don't know who you are, and I don't know who this guy, you know, you're, you're, you're knocking my God here. Um, I've taken on things probably as big as you. I've ripped a bear in half. I've taken out a lion. You really don't scare me because it's not me. Sorry to tell you that, but, okay, let's, let's tangle. You know, he didn't have to go back and, okay, you know, now I have to center myself. I have to block that out. And then I got to move on to this. And then I can focus. And then I can go. Out. No, he said, okay, here we go. Uh-uh. My God said that I could take you out. Why? Because I know who is in me. He who is in me is greater than he who is in this world. So you might be nine feet tall. And you might be a big dude. And you may have slaughtered a lot of people. But um, it's not going to happen here. Because God's going to do it, not me. Last thing, convenience. Well, sometimes one of our obstacles really is convenience, right? It, it, it gets in our way of sharing with others. And somehow, here we go, we've re- romanticized that somehow in the Bible they had it easier. Well, they didn't have all this stuff to deal with. It really it isn't true. I'd argue it actually was a lot harder back then. There were a lot less resources. It was harder to get a hold of things. It was harder to do things back then. And to be honest... Some of the best things, some of the best things that have ever come out in the Bible were out of a moment of great inconvenience, right? They're sharing with people. They're out there in a small town, 5,000 people sitting around, and all of a sudden they realize that they had been going the entire day, and the disciples are going, well, everybody's getting a little bit restless, and they're hungry, 
And for many of these people, it's too far for them to go home. And this little town that's over there, there's no way it's going to support 5,000 people coming in and trying to eat up everything that's there. Come on, what did Jesus do? He applied faith. He had to apply faith. And he says, what do we have? Five loaves and two fishes? Sounds like a great evening special. Start handing it out. And you know, there was, there was, you talk about inconvenience, you talk about fear. You're a disciple who's standing on this line and Jesus is here and there's 5,000 back here. They had a choice and they made their choice. What was their choice? Their choice could have been to look just solely to him and not even face the problem. But he says, what I want you to do is to tear it and hand it out. And their choice was to turn and do what they were asked to do. It was that motion that overcame fear. It was that motion that overcame inconvenience. It was that motion that overcame unbelief. It was that motion that overcame pride. You know there's a lot of pride because these guys are going, okay, I'm going to look stupid in front of 5,000 people because I'm standing here with five loaves of bread and two little fish. And somehow we're going to feed all these people. But they continued to do what the Lord said, just take and distribute. And they kept distributing, and they kept distributing, and they kept distributing. Every time they handed something out, I can guarantee you, every one of those guys, their faith went up a notch. Because they turn around, what, there's more? Okay, let's keep going. There's more? Let's keep going. There's more? Oh, wait, there's thousands of baskets full left over? Well, tell them to take it home then. Right? But it came out of a moment of inconvenience. You know, Peter, here he was unprepared. Come on, I've had Sundays where I feel like that. I come in here and I'm unprepared to preach a sermon. (laughs) But not like this. Right? (laughs) Come on, Peter goes out and and here he denies Jesus for the third time, realizes what he did wrong, walks up on a hill and starts preaching, and all of a sudden 3,000 people show up at the service. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 were saved. 3,000 were baptized on that day. Come on, that's a great inconvenience when you don't have a good set of notes in front of you to walk up to. Go, okay, there's a lot of people out there, and I don't know what I'm going to say. But I'm going to rely on God. All right, let's start. You know, we we had, um, uh, Kareen knows this. I'm going to pick on Kareen for a sec because she was down in the same building that I used to work in. I I worked for a company downtown, and we we share this, uh, share the old, was it Miller and Payne building? And one of the most inconvenient things that has ever happened or happens in that building on a regular basis is some joker puts the popcorn in the microwave and sets it for like 45 minutes or something. And all of a sudden, like black smoke comes billowing out and the fire alarms go off in the entire building. You have to stop what you're doing and go outside. It's a great inconvenience, especially when you know that it's some idiot on sixth floor from our own company that is microwaving popcorn because you can smell it on your floor. But you still have to leave because the system's going off. But I will tell you, many of us would be the first one to sue that company if that thing didn't go off and there was a real fire and I was damaged. All of a sudden, it's not an inconvenience anymore. So I submit to you, I think some people are on fire and they're smoking. Is it an inconvenience to be the fire alarm, to walk over and go, by the way, we need to talk. Come on, the the truth is, 
that, you know, if you're out there, you're waiting for the right time, guess what? The right time's never going to come. You know, when you first get married, one of the things they tell you, everybody, everybody always has, well, most people have this goal. There's a few people who mainly sat on the front row, but everybody else had this goal of, you know, well, we'll have kids when we're ready, and it's a few years out, and we have all this stuff in order, you know, and we, we do, and everybody will tell you there is going to be no convenient time. Something's always going to come up. Something's always going to happen. But I will tell you, I will not trade it for anything in the world, being a parent. Now, it was a great, believe me, it's a great inconvenience when you have these little things that are in another room and are loud enough to wake you up in the house no matter where you are at 2 in the morning when the thing starts to scream. And I'm not calling it a child, I'm calling it a thing, because at 2 in the morning you're not even sure what it is. You're like, what is that noise? And why will it not stop? But now, man, I got these two beautiful children. Come on, both of them love the Lord. You hear them? It's great. They're running around the house. And Daniel, Daniel's the more rambunctious of the two. But you know what's great? He runs around after a Sunday morning and starts singing the worship songs that happen on Sunday morning. That's when I know it was worth it. You know, it, it settles in at that point. But, you know, here, might, there might be the reason it just doesn't seem right, right? You know, or, or there might not be the right time or... You know, in fact, I want you to memorize this verse. If you ever say this isn't the right time, it's from 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Doesn't matter. Today is the day. Time is now. The day is today. Come on, and if God desires really to move in our generation, he does, right? So, you know, we're the ones who should reach our generation. Come on, this is the time he desires a breakthrough in people that are around us. You might feel like you don't have the right tools or the right manpower, even the right strategy, but God's time is always now. You know, you may not be the best speaker, but it's easy just to talk to somebody, right? So here you go. Being a Christian, here we go. What? Let me back up. Every day all around the world, right, there's people that are giving their hearts to God. In other words, every day someone is someone's day for salvation, right? And you may already have done that. Maybe you haven't. You've heard us talking about it. Today can be your day. We're going to give you that opportunity today. That today can be your day of salvation. So being a Christian really who follows Jesus Christ's assignment, if the the worship team would come up. Being a Christian who follows Christ's assignment to go and to preach the gospel. Here we go. It's not about convenience, but rather about priorities. What is your priorities, right? It it, it might, might not always be convenient to go and to meet someone, bring them to church. It's not always convenient uh, you know, you have to rearrange your own schedule to make these happen sometimes. But it's about your priorities, and that's really what priorities are, right? What is first? What is number one? What is top billing in your life? You know, if you determine what is most important values in your life, uh, letting everyone else know they'll follow. And when they know that about you. I've told you that about my friends. I mean, they, they've known me before I, was, before I am who I am today. And they will now, instead of do things that would harm my Christianity, actually defend it, even though they still do some of those things. 
people that I work with the exact same way have gone on business trips. Oh, no, no, he doesn't do that. Now, they knew me before, and they knew I would have done that before. But they said, no, 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 that's not who he is now. <laughs> he won't take that. Uh, give him a Coke instead. He, he won't do that. But why? It's because I've put that value first. So let me ask you this question. What, question was really what's stopping us from going? What's stopping you from being a witness? What's stopping you from inviting people into his kingdom? Is it unbelief, pride, fear, that our own convenience? But take a moment and think about this and have, let God deal with you in your heart today. You know, put, put all those things aside. That's the great thing. We can do that. And we can choose his way. What he desires for us to do, right? In our city, in our church, in our own generation. And I want you to think about this. I want to encourage you with this final thought. Earlier I mentioned that, you know, it, it might seem like a radical thing when you're going to talk to people. You know, and trying to share this message of the gospel. I want to tell you something, it is. Because when Jesus came to this earth, you know, his message was a radical message. You know, we, we, there, was a, there was a time in the 90s we kind of, you know, we're cute as Christians and we try and, you know, jump on the backs of other little movements that are going. Everybody wanted to be a rebel. I, I submit to you the first greatest rebel that ever was in the world was Jesus. Because he went against culture. He went against a lot of the teaching that was happening. And he made it simple. It was a radical message in a time where everybody had their structure and everything set. Kind of feels like now. Everybody's got their own little thing. And we bring this message. And it's so counter to the culture. It's so counter to what's being taught. It's so counter to what you see on TV. It seems like a radical thing. Well, if you get that feeling, then good. Because you've got it. <laughs> because it should feel radical. Because it's different. It's not what this world subscribes to. It's what he subscribes to. Amen? All right, have you all stand with me today.